Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barflow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. I'm continually encouraged by the life of our church and to see so many of you, so many new faces, and so much growth continuing to happen. Um, it's going to be an amazing season. And I'm believing that God is doing something mighty amongst us. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And I don't know if y'all been sensing what the Holy Spirit has been doing a little bit, but something is going to break loose in this church. I'm, I'm talking to all my charismatics and Pentecostals in the room right now. I'm speaking prophetically in the room to say, I don't know what the Lord is doing, but I can just sense that something is about to break. It's like when you're filling up a balloon with water and your friend says, that's enough. And you're like, no, it's not. I just feel like a few of us in this room are overflowing filling these wineskins and new wine is about to pour out into our lives, into this church and onto this street. Amen? And I tell you that to say God always does something unique about on Pentecost Sunday. You don't know what that is. Pentecost Sunday is traditionally the day in which the modern church celebrates the day of Pentecost, 50 days from the celebrated day of Easter or Resurrection Sunday represents the time in which the disciples were meeting in the upper room and the, the Holy Spirit arrived like a mighty rushing wind. And so we believe still today that God does new things like that. God does powerful things like that. And I'm just telling you right now, you might expect experience a new wind next Sunday. Amen. I want to continue to encourage you to stay faithful in this season. Summertime in Colorado is a heartbreaking for pastors. Because <laughs> all of y'all are here in the fall and the winter. And then the, and then the weather gets nice and you're like, I don't think I even go to church. Where is the, the mountains are my church, right? And I'm here like, hello, 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 hello. I'm challenged. I'm pushing you. I just want to encourage you to continue to stay faithful to what God is doing in your life. Continue to let the Lord grow us together. Amen? You have your Bible, say yeah. yeah. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. We are officially finishing this mini-series within our study of Galatians. If you're new here today, you've just been visiting with us. We've been since... February in a 16-week series studying the book of Galatians. And about four weeks ago, I was in a message in, in Galatians chapter 3, and that one message has turned into four parts. And I'm, I'm in, <laughs> it's been awesome. I, has anybody been blessed by what God's been teaching us in the last four weeks together? It's been, I mean, I've been really enjoying my time in it, and I'm, I'm excited. I think we'll get to finish it here today. So Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read just verses 23 through 29. This is part 4 in a message entitled, A Promise We Can, we can Keep, A Promise We Can Count On, A Promise We Can Count On. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, it reads like this. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And isn't it amazing that God did this so that the moment we talk about baptism in Galatians chapter 3 happens to be on Baptism Sunday. I don't know how you feel, but when I studied that this week, I was running around my little office. Chanel was like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't think so. This is amazing. I can't believe it. God continues to do little things like this, and I'm grateful for it. The Bible says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We'll explain the whole thing today. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, And you're Abraham's offspring. And you're heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this. What a joy to read your word. We take this room captive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every spirit that is in here, that is unlike Christ, is commanded to go. This room belongs to Jesus, and his name alone will be magnified. I cancel depression. I cast out anxiety. Suicidal thoughts, you must flee. The assignment over our minds is dead and gone and cursed in Jesus' name. Father, give me Pentecost power preaching today. God, give us open hearts to receive today. Make this be a room where change happens that's permanent, sustainable, and forever and ever. Amen. We didn't come to play church. We came to be the church. Amen. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very excited to preach today. (laughs) Let me give you a recap. This was all supposed to be one message where we were going to talk about God's promises. Then we're going to talk about how how God made a way for us to walk into the promise. And then we're going to talk about how he keeps the promise. Remember that the promises we talked about were those made to Adam and Noah Abraham, Moses, David, and then the new covenant. We, we talked about that promises are God's nature because he's not a man that he should lie. Everything that he says is absolute truth the moment that he speaks it, which means that every word that he says to you is an absolute promise. And God has never failed and he has never broken a promise. And so we, we talked about the very nature of our God as having, having, having the ability to look at you and say things that might not seem true. And then the moment they're spoken, they're true. So when he says you're healed, when he says you're saved, When he says you're set free, free. and for some of us, when he says you're four inches taller, (laughs) (laughs) but that's how we do it, try to help God. Come on, we can do it together. It's not in the book, brother. Promises are God's nature, which makes our interaction with him different than the rest of the world who don't always keep their promises. And then we talked about the law last week. We finally really got into the purpose of the law, answering the question that Paul asks, so why then the law? We came to understand, and we'll further the concept today, that the law was God's way of helping us, by nature promise breakers, walk into him by nature the promise maker. The law was a way of keeping us so that we didn't just blow the whole thing up. And in that way, the law then was God's primary 
act of grace in the Old Testament. And, and, and we tried to connect the divide between people who think that law is not grace and people who, who think that grace is not law because in God's eyes, they are but one. God uses the law as an act of grace to pull us closer to him when we wander astray. And today, I'm going to tie that all up so we can understand why he would do that and then give us Jesus. Now, the text starts off, and for once in my life, I'm actually kind of frustrated with the, the Bible we use. We here at Beacon, we use the translation called the English Standard Version. It's, it's what's known as a, a word-for-word -word translation. Perfect? No. But very well-researched, yes. And the reason we use this is because a word-for-word -word translation is a Bible that as closely as possible to the voluminous original manuscripts tries to translate the words exactly as they were written so as not to lose nuance or add meaning where there shouldn't be, subtracting where there should be. The problem sometimes is that many of the words used in the original Hebrew or used in the original Greek oftentimes actually lose their nuance when translated word for word. And so then it becomes incumbent upon us as the reader, the studier of the text, to dive deeper. Amen. I'm pushing you just a little bit today. And one of the ways that the world has done this in the North American church is to actually not use word for word, but to use a different kind of translation called thought for thought. There's a whole group of Bible translations out there that are, are, are called paraphritic in nature. Their goal is to take the general idea of the sentences, phrases, and passages and put them into a modern language. Those translations are like the NLT, the New Living Translation, or the Message Translation, or, 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 or the, the Passion, which is, I don't think, it's, I got to tell you right, I don't know. That one gets a little off. Amen. I'm just, is it cool? I'm just going to push you. The passion is fun, but some of it's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not, not. So you have to be mindful as believers on what you're reading. Is it cool we talk about this for a second? You need to be in this word so that you can know this word. I should say it like this. You need to be deep diving into this word so that this word will deep dive into you. And I would encourage all of us to have multiple translations. Technology has made it such that you can. If you have the version app of the Bible on your phone, you can read this in any number of translations. And I bring this to your attention. Because in verse 23, 24, 25, it's a word-for-word -word translation, but I don't love it. It says, now before faith came, we've held, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of the faith. I want to actually just read you the KJV. You know the one that you think is impossible to read? <laughs> Interestingly enough, it says it very well. Same verses. It says, now before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which would then afterwards be revealed. Verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, same words, but a little more nuance here. And this is the important nature because I want you to understand this translation is not wrong. The word actually means to be held captive. The idea here is that when the law existed prior to the arrival of Jesus, the law was given to a rebellious people to hold them captive. Arrested? No. Kept. Kept. 
The word originally is pedagogos. It's a Greek word that the original audience and the churches in Galatea who would have heard this letter read in their hearing amongst their gatherings would have very easily understood. You see, in Greek society, most houses that were middle to well off had a pedagogos. This was a servant or a bond servant who lived with the family, whose primary job was the stewardship, custody, and helping of the children. The term was like a Greek tutor, a pedagogos, a scholar, or a schoolmaster. And the idea was this. The pedagogos did not give birth to the children. Amen. Go with me. And the pedagogos did not have the means to provide for the children. Amen. Y'all with me. But the pedagogos was challenged, tasked with making sure that these children in their immaturity, in their naivete, in their inability to follow through on the commitments and the plans set before them would arrive at their destination on an ongoing basis. This was an everyday experience. Left to their own devices, you and I know that if you let a children walk to school and it's 14 miles... You get it, right? And so the father looks at Israel and he's like, oh, we need a pedagogos. We need somebody, something that can walk alongside them and help them in their immaturity walk into that which I have set for them. The term used in, this, in, in the KJV is schoolmaster. It's almost like protective custody. As if to say... Greater is coming, but left to your own devices, you will fail to walk into it. And so while Paul uses the term imprisoned, the word would, would have actually meant, oh, God, embraced. It's, it's, it's like when, when your kid's having a full-on meltdown. My youngest was actually really independent as a young guy. Super cool, too. He'd have headphones on. He always had swagger. He's like three. I'm like, where do you even get those clothes? I didn't buy those clothes. <laughs> and it would come nap time, and he was energetic. And I'd be like, it's time for a nap. And my, my oldest, his, his older brother, I would say it was time for a nap, and he would read a train book and go right to bed. <laughs> and my youngest was like, it's not time for a nap. I'm like, no, it's definitely time. And he's like, want to bet? And so I would have to take a nap with him. I would actually take my youngest into the bed. We'd read a book. And then I would hold him close. Like really close. Because he was all squirmy. You ever lay in bed with a kid? You're like, why are you moving so much? It's 3 a.m. Stop it. He, would just, he was just moving all the time. And so I'd have to pull him in closer until all of the movement, all of the exploration, all of the wiggles and the jiggles would subside down until he was ready to rest. And in many ways, if you were to walk in during nap time, it would look like I was <laughs> waiting for him to tap out. But I wasn't. Ready? I was waiting for him to submit so that he could get what he needed. Are y'all with me? 
And so when Paul writes, he says, now before Jesus came, the law existed as a means of embracing us, holding us, so that we didn't ruin what God had for us. When you see the law like this, it becomes so much more beautiful. It no longer is some 600 bizarre concepts, but it becomes this beautiful, nuanced, gentle way that the Father who created all things and is in all things and through whom all things come to be finds a way to take all the things that are unlike him off your life that you might be closer to him. And the interesting part about that verse is now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And I need you to understand, because this is the crux of Paul's teaching to the church, is living by faith was always the plan. Habakkuk 2 tells us in the Old Testament through the voice of the prophet that it was a life lived in earnest dependence, in trust, in obedience, in leaning into what God said and who God was. And the law was a method by which we could set ourselves up for success to live by faith. And the teaching that Paul's trying to make is the problem with many of us is living by faith is hard. So just tell me the bare minimum, and I will do that. And so the law came, and the people followed the law and missed the giver of the law. And Paul says, that's what we call immaturity. That's what it looks like to just say, what do I got to do to not get in trouble? And Paul says, but good news for you and me, faith has come. Verse 25, it says this, now faith has come and we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now, remember we were talking about translations. I want to read that part in another translation. In the New Living Translation, which is a thought for thought translation. Verse 25, 6 and 7 says this, and now that the way of faith has come, not that faith was birthed, but that the, the walking of faith, the living by faith that Christ has called us to, now that that has arisen because the destination is arrived, the way, Jesus is here, now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like the putting on of new clothes. Here's the important part that Paul is trying to push us. God the Father spoke a promise that was a Messiah to come. He said, I have made a way for redemption. He's not come yet. But the invitation is that you would trust me that I'm good. That's before Jesus. That's what God would have said to the original audience to whom he gave the law. I'm a promise maker. Trust me. Amen. And then Paul says, <laughs> you guys, I hate to break it to you, but the promise has been kept. You see, 
Our ancestors were told that he was good and something was coming. And the invitation was, trust me, even if you don't see it. And Paul writes to us today and says, we have seen it. I don't know why this is difficult to us now. He's actually writing as if to say, why are so many of us struggling with religion and ritual when the thing that we've been yearning for, the, 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 the word that was lost on our lips, the, the taste that we've been wanting so bad has now arrived, he's been present, he's here, and the best part is that now the Holy Spirit lives within each one of us. Why would we struggle with rules when the relationship is here? And he's writing to a church who says, I want the relationship, but... The rules make me feel safe. I've gotten accustomed to the guardian. Just make it easy on me. And in many ways, the invitation that Paul makes to this church and we make to one another today is the promise is here. It's supposed to be easier. But living by faith is actually harder. You see, they had to believe God for a promise that they would not see even unto death, but they had to trust him and walk by faith in the law and hope that he was good by his nature, by his word, and recounting the things that he had done to the patriarchs and since the beginning of time. And now the invitation is Jesus has come, and there's more evidence to prove that Jesus lived and died and resurrected than there is evidence for anything in antiquity. The manuscripts of the Bible are voluminous. There is no way to disprove it. This New Testament has over 24,000 accounts that match word for word. It is it's the most proven document in all of the world. And so many of us are like, yes, but what do I have to do? And we trap ourselves in religion still. And he says, you mustn't do anything. It was done. Now you walk in it. By faith, Bob, thank you. And that's, oh. That's the rub. Am I right? Because if there's rules, I can measure myself by the rules, right? What do I need to do? Okay. Check, check, check. But if it's relationship, well, then I got to start working on that, don't I? I got to be involved in that, don't I? It's got to cost me something, don't it? Because, see, you can't be married and just have a checklist on the kitchen and says, gave her a kiss. Good. Ugh. Hugged her. Asked her about her day. That took forever. <laughs> That's not a marriage. Make your wife feel like a task. No, a true marriage is when you lean in. Put my phone away. Hi. I love you. What are you feeling? Let's talk. You see, there's a, there's a deeper investment in relationship. There's an intimacy in relationship that the law didn't provide because the law was a guardian. You see, the law was just a servant, like a nanny today. For she reads your books and cleans your sheets, but she doesn't know you in the same fashion that your mother may know you. And in the same way God gives a schoolmaster, a pedagogos, a law to hold us together, to walk us from here to there. But it's not like loving the Father. It's not the same embrace. It's not like having a relationship with Jesus who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake it. There is nothing in the law that can hold your chin up high when your day has caught you low. There's nothing in the law that says, I'm here for you. 
It's only Jesus who shows up late in the midnight hour. It's only Jesus who answers prayers. It's only he who rubs your back and tells you it's going to be all right. Only Jesus is the one who saves. And the world has led us to live so that the law might save. But only Jesus does that. It requires intimacy. It requires connection. And he says this. Now the faith has come. We're no longer under the guardian. Thank you, Jesus. But in Christ Jesus, we have now all become sons of God through faith. We're no longer in protective custody. Ready? We've been adopted. Like, we had the hearing. They weighed the options. And they were like, you don't deserve this. But your co-heir Jesus was like, yeah, but I, I'll vouch. And, 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 and all your friends are like, well, you don't deserve this. And Jesus was like, shut up. One day I'll vouch for you too. Ooh. And he stands with you before the father. And the father says, Jesus, if you got him, I got him. And we're grafted into the family, no longer in need of someone to watch over us, but already in the family so we can run into our father's house and say, Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, I'm tired. Daddy, I need more time with you. Amen. And then Paul goes on one step further. And he says, for as many of you as been baptized have then put on Christ. Now, scholars will live in two camps on this portion of the text. Some will say that this is actually a conversation about baptism, the sacrament that we will practice today. It is a public, come on, be with me. A public declaration to shout from the rooftops of our life to say something's different here. Baptism is in, is in many ways an opportunity for us to pause our life for a moment and gaze into this new flesh heart and say, holy smokes. It's like a beautiful moment of introspection that we then get to show the whole world. And then there's another camp of people who would say, this is actually not outward baptism. This is baptism of the Holy Spirit. The moment that you put your trust in Jesus, they can come in a late midnight hour prayer or just something quietly that occurs to you over time. But the moment that you, and you know it when you've done it, where you've just sort of given him your whole heart and say, I, I surrender, you, you lead me from now on. In that moment, we know that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of us. And so no, no longer is God outside of us, but God makes his dwelling within us. And so some scholars believe that this teaching right here is actually in that moment. And here's the beauty. They're both right. Amen? They're both right because the Bible can be a yes and document. The living in the tension is the beauty here. And so I would tell you that this, Paul says that the moment you say yes to Jesus and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and some of us would say the second part, with evidence of See, we got a good church. If you didn't hear that because you're Presbyterian, yeah. <laughs> it said, as evidenced with the speaking of speaking in tongues. 
It's true that this, can, this moment right here can actually be the, the moment that you say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit takes his residence and you can receive all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That which is for you is for you. And there's a moment here that that happens and ready, it all changes. I want to break the stigma off your life that says, I'll say yes to Jesus and it's going to be a hard slog. I'm still going to be a dirty dog. I'm going to be sinning my way all to the throne. And hopefully by the time I slide into the pearly gates, I might be holy enough. Have you told yourself this? I want to kill that off your life. He says, for as many of you as have said yes to Jesus, have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, are then all the way changed. Or let's believe the other side. For those of you who have finally made today the day where you dive into the pool and make a public declaration, as you go under the water, depression, anxiety, fear, sin, chaos, worry, and bitterness, they go under so that when you come up, the only thing that comes up with you is the rivers of living water of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you today. Both are true. The picture is this. For as many who have been baptized with Christ are brand New. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. That's it. But then Paul pushes back a little bit because he knows what you just said to yourself. I don't, I don't feel that new. I still, still do some old things. And so Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are now all one in Christ. And so here, here's what he's teaching. He says, when you say yes to Jesus, putting your whole heart and your trust into him, when the Holy Spirit takes his residence in you, when you make a public declaration through full immersion water baptism, and you come up symbolically brand new, Every marker and every piece of identity that this world has placed upon you is now less than Jesus. You ready? Now, here's the thing. He's not saying you're not still some things. He is saying those things no longer have precedence, power, or the ability to hinder you from Jesus. And that's what we do oftentimes. We say things like, well, I'm a Christian who cusses. <laughs> Quiet, because a bunch of y'all said that. <laughs> Is he reading my Facebook posts? <laughs> I am. Um, we say things like, I, I still struggle with this. Or, 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 or we identify ourselves with a certain portion of population. And I'm going to push real quick, but you know my heart. I want you to hear this. We are not black Christians. We are not white Christians. We are not Hispanic Christians. Ready? We are not gay Christians. We are not this kind of Christian. We are not that kind of Christians. Ready? We are Christians. And when the other parts of our identity align with Christ, then we are Christian and. Amen. Because we can be Christian and from Montbello. Come on, somebody. But when parts of our identity do not align, well, then we are no longer those things. Ah, see, y'all with me. See, if you've been baptized in Christ and have put on, as the New Living Translation says, the new clothes, Ephesians would call it the new man. 
The idea is that you've put on a new identity and you are now brand new in Christ. And anything that is unlike Christ dies. You with me? And in many ways, what he's doing right here is he's saying, here's the beauty. When he puts his spirit in you, everything changes. But you got to walk into the change. Don't, don't be fooled that this is some kind of seeker-friendly only church where I'll just teach grace and say, he's just going to take residence in you. No, he says, I take residence in you, a living sanctuary, a temple. And there is no temple where sin is allowed to reside, fester, function, or grow. And so he says, I'm going to make you new. I'm going to clean you out. I'm going to wash you from the inside out. And then you must walk into it. In many ways, this is a calling out of your own life. He says, I'm going to make you new. Stop messing with the old. And so many of us are stuck in the old, and we're like, I just don't get it. He said that I would be made new. And so I've been standing in my old. And someone's like, come out. No, I've been church hurt. And I want more of him, but I just can't get out of this old. And someone says, you, you should serve. Nah, they just want to take all my time. You see where I'm headed with this? Yeah. We use a bunch of excuses to find ways for us to stay away from, stay hidden from, stay stuck in the old so that, so that we never actually get a chance to be made new. I'm just pushing a little bit today. I don't mind if you, I hope you don't mind if I'm just a little bit rough on you today. Here's the deal. Too many of us have said yes to Jesus, and he said, come out. And we said, no, thank you. I want you to move in to the slums of me. And I want to stay in the slums with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I walk into the slums because I'm a friend of sinners, and I remove you from the slums so that you might walk on the streets of gold, for in my Father's house are many rooms, and you've got to walk with me, got to follow me, got to obey me. You've got to be with me. And so many of us are like, but that's not who I am. I'm not like them. And Jesus says, I will make you like them. We've been fooled by identity politics to believe that there are things in this world that are bigger than Jesus. There's nothing bigger than Jesus. If you would say yes to Jesus yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You with me? And then he says this, Paul writes, and he says, oh, if you've been called out like that. Oh, if you would say yes. If you'd be baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you'd make it public through water baptism. And if every day you'd put your trust in him and can continue to chase after a relational intimacy with Jesus Christ, then you are his. And if you are his, then you are Abraham's offspring. Ooh, hold on, y'all. Remember what we were talking about a few weeks ago. What he's doing in this moment, Paul is taking this whole conversation and coming around into a circle. And he's saying, hey, church, remember when we talked about God, the promise maker? And they said, yeah. And he said, do you remember the promises? And they started to nudge each other. And they're like, yeah. And he said, if you are in Christ Jesus and Christ is yours, then you are Abraham's offspring. And if you're his offspring, you get the same promises. So what are the promises of God that were made to our forefathers? 
fulfilled through Jesus and now available to those of you who are in Christ Jesus? That should be the question. So wait, what, what do I get? Now you don't come to Jesus for what you get. You come to Jesus for who he is. And because of he's so good, he says, oh, and um, a new car. No, that's not what he says. But he says something else. He says, if I'm yours and you're mine, I'll make you brand new. And then let me remind you, the new covenant said you'd be new. And then the promise I made to David said you'd be great. Said you'd be established said, I discipline you because I love you. You remember these promises? You remember we talked about that? And he said, I don't know if you remember the promises that I made to Moses, but those promises were that you'd be treasured and that you'd be chosen and that you'd be royal. He said, I don't know if you remember the promises I actually made to the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I promised them I'd make them great as well. I promised them that through them would come blessing and cursing. I don't know if you remember the promises I made all the way back to Noah himself when I promised that you would have dominion and possession everything and you would not see destruction until Jesus came back. He said, I don't even know if you remember the first promises I made to my son Adam when I promised him he would have all things and I would see him as good. Paul says this, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are into the family of God and all of the promises that he makes to your far forefathers are now yours. You said, I don't know if I can be a Christian. Well, can you be made great on your own? No. Can you have dominion on your own? No. Can you be seen as good in the eyes of a perfect father all by yourself? No. The beauty of Jesus is that he's the answer to every promise. And so when you feel the disconnect between what God says and what you live, the connection is Jesus. Y'all with me? We're out of time. Ben, y'all can come up. We're going to worship one more song. And if you're getting baptized today, you can slip out of your seat and meet the team in the back. You're here today, and you're thinking to yourself, now that, that's the kind of Jesus I want to know. As you're leaving, just be quiet for a second if you're getting baptized. You're here today and you say, I, I guess I'd never seen it like that. I've never fully understand it. Stood the idea that Jesus was, was the bridge between the promises that were made to so many who could not be fulfilled and, and the eternal life that I'm supposed to walk into. You're here today and the Lord's been doing something still and small in your voice. Or he's been reminding you of the disconnect between who you are and what's possible. I want to open a door for you today. We don't believe that the sinner's prayer saves you. But we do believe that when sinners pray to the Savior, he can save them. So every head is bowed and every eye is closed. You're here. And you said, Pastor, CB, man. I want that. I want a relationship with a king who loves me. Who will never leave me nor forsake me. Who has power to heal and power to deliver. I don't 
want to be caught in the rules and rituals of religion. I want to be in a relationship. I want to be loved. I want to be held. I want to be changed. And I've never had that before. If that's you, I want you to do me a favor. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. But if that's you, I want you to just look up at me real quick so I can make eye contact with you. I want to pray with you today. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I'm going to say a simple prayer. You can repeat it after me in your heart. I'd ask that everybody do it. And this prayer doesn't save you, but it opens the door for you to walk towards the king who does. Heavenly Father, thank you. I'm a sinner. And I need saving. Jesus, I believe that you are king of kings. And Lord of lords. I surrender. I believe you died on the cross. And you took my sin and my shame. I believe that you rose again. And in you I can rise and have life. I receive you as Lord. And I receive you as Savior. I give you permission to lead me to live by faith. Amen. Do me a favor. All over the building. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go. Let's go.